I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. There's a lot of things that you can't start or or plan ahead for because you don't know how it's going to go a year from now or two years from now. So those things are just staying in a dream basis right now. That's what DACA recipients are doing. They're dreaming about a future that's, that's not there yet. This is Death, Sex, and Money. Mr. Blue is dead. Dead is still at you. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Come on, let's go spend some money. And need to talk about more. All your efforts to keep me from you are going to fail. I'm in a sale. Hi, Freddie. I met Freddie and Vanessa this fall at their apartment in northern New Jersey. It's a cozy spot on the ground floor. They met just over two years ago at the gym. I saw him, and he looks kind of like the coach. And I said, excuse me, are you the coach of this class? And he's like, yeah. I said, okay, well, I need to introduce myself to you. It's my first day here, so just look out for me so I don't die. Like, (laughs) I've never done this. Freddie, did you, like, immediately kind of notice Vanessa? Well, I did notice the hair. She had the biggest hair in the class. <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks later, when Freddie sent out a group text wishing everyone in the class a happy Thanksgiving, Vanessa responded directly to him, and they struck up an exchange. So then we ended up meeting at Dunkin' Donuts for, a, like, at 11-ish, midnight. So, how long did we chat for, like, an hour? A couple hours. Like, two hours. Hour, two hours? Hour, two hours over. I was listening most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Like always. (laughs) Both Freddie and Vanessa are in their early 30s. Vanessa is an administrator at a university. Freddie works at a paper company and also part-time at the gym. They both grew up in New Jersey in immigrant families. I mean, you told me you were from Mexico. Right. So my, my assumption was that it was a situation like my family. Like you came from another country and then eventually you got residency. That was just kind of how I assumed. Because Latinos, most first-generation Latinos in this area anyway, have had that experience. Vanessa's mother is from the Dominican Republic. And growing up, Vanessa went back and forth to the DR a lot. But Freddie's only crossed one international border in his life. When he was six, he left the small Mexican village where he was born and came to the U.S. I remember that we were in a car the back seat was taken off. So we lied there. They threw some blankets and covers on top of us. Basically, we were covered. We were hitting in there. And then they put the baby seats. I think it was two baby seats on top of us. And we drove for like maybe two hours or so. Did you understand you were hiding? I kind of understood because they told me not to make any noise. But I didn't know why or, or, or what was the purpose of that. 
Vanessa didn't know any of that when things started to get serious between them. She also didn't know that Freddie is one of the 700,000 young people in the U.S. with DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and that his legal status here hinges on it. She just knew that Freddie was unlike anyone she'd ever dated. I don't know. There was just something very honorable about him all the time. And a couple months, I would say a month into us dating, we were scheduled to meet up that day, probably again at Dunkin' Donuts, I think. Um, and I got into a huge fight with my sister who who has mental health issues. And my sister and I were coming back from this party that my mom was hosting and we brought plates of food, you know, for leftovers. And so um, in in trying to like defend myself and manage the situation, the food was being flung everywhere. It had been like a physical fight. Right. Like everywhere, rice, <laughs> beans, pernil, which is like roasted pork. It was everywhere. My glasses broke. It was a disaster. So, of course, I tell him, don't worry about it. We'll see each other tomorrow because, like, I can't. I have to deal with something. And he had no idea anything about my sister. And his instinct was just to come to the house and see if everything was okay. He just showed up and he said, what happened? So I just start bawling, right? I can't even say anything. And he said, you know what? He had given me a flashlight. That was the first thing he ever gave me was, a like, a flashlight bat to protect myself um, walking to and from the bus stop. <laughs> a flashlight. Yeah. It's like a titanium steel. This It's like three feet long. Um, so it was in my car. And he said, just hold the flashlight. He cleaned the entire car that night. And I'm intermittently going from sobbing because I'm so upset that this event has occurred to being grateful to them being embarrassed, you know, all these things. And um, he was just there, you know, like when he was cleaning my car, he's like, don't worry, you're not alone anymore. I got this. When did you tell Vanessa, Freddie, that that you had DACA and had previously been undocumented? Mm. I think it was, what was it, like a month or two after? Based on how we were trusting each other or just opening up to each other. I felt comfortable. And, and then I figured, well, if she is going to react in another way, it'll be okay. You know, it's not going to, I guess it's not going to break me. It'll just be a way for me to say she's okay or not with it. You know, so depending on her reaction, I was going to basically determine how did I stand next to her based on her view of DACA. It came up where he said, well, I have to tell you something. And um, he said, I have DACA. And I was like, okay, so, like, I just, it didn't click right away. Um, did it feel like a secret you had to reveal? Like something yes, you needed yes, to? Yes, yes, yes. because again, uh, she she never, she, will you have guessed it? No. And I'm thinking that the process for that to turn into, like, legal status wasn't that difficult because, what my family had gone through, it's like, oh, this is, you can, there's a way, you can find a way. Um, and then I remember one of the first times we went to this little Mexican restaurant that we love to go to and eat tacos and stuff. And so um, we were there and I said, well, you remember this thing? And I was like, uh, I was thinking about it. And 
we could just get married. <laughs> she <laughs> proposed to me. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. And he just was silent. Like he just looked at me and then looked down at his food and kept eating. <laughs> he didn't say anything. I'm like, um, <laughs> are you gonna say something? You know, and and, and then eventually he said, um, you know, I take marriage very seriously and I would never wanna go down that path just because of, of legal status. And I said, well, you know, if it doesn't work out with us, then that, that could be like my lifetime gift to you kind of a thing. Also a way to, to express my gratitude for, I'm going to start crying, <laughs> for his, um, sorry. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> So weird. Um, thanks. Um, no, it was a way, I think, to also express my gratitude for who he was and who he was showing himself to be. Um, I think I looked at it as like, aha, like this is an opportunity to like help him because he has it, he's so together and he's so steady and sure of himself. And so you know, sometimes I wouldn't say it's intimidating, but it is kind of like, this is my way to like help you or give you something that um, maybe like matches like my, how I felt and my gratitude. Because after dealing with, you know, just regular dating for so many years, it can really uh, make you lose your faith and like have finding like a good partner and that's a good match and all these things. And that's what motivated me to say it in the first place. Um, and then, of course, because he's so sure of himself and solid, he says he would never just marry someone for the practical sense of it. Because even if it's civil marriage, he takes it seriously. And I'm like, I can't even get you that. Like, are you? <laughs> um, but I think also at that time, I was naive thinking that it was a quick and easy process. Coming up, politics intervenes in Freddie and Vanessa's relationship when President Trump takes office. Right now, with this administration, you never know where you stand. You know, so you can be good today and then tomorrow is chaos. In case you missed it, I am pregnant with my second child. And right now, the team and I are in what we call turbo production mode to get ready for my upcoming maternity leave. While I'm out welcoming this new baby and nursing and learning how to be a family of four, the team is still going to be putting out new episodes. A lot of them are interviews done by me. And like the last time I was out on maternity leave, we also have some exciting guest hosts who will be sitting in. But for now, I have this weird, hilarious due date of December 25th. And so we thought it would be fun to make an advent calendar of sorts to count down the days until this baby comes and this phase of our turbo production mode is officially complete. So we're going to share behind the scenes moments with you all and some fun surprises every day until my due date. You can check it out right now at deathsexmoney.org slash countdown and follow along all month long. On the next episode, a woman who was working her way up at a bank all the way to becoming a vice president, but couldn't stop thinking about becoming a nun. I started to 
freak out because I'm thinking I don't fit that stereotype. A nun was like someone who's never done bad things. A nun was someone who has no personality. A nun is someone who's boring. A nun is someone who doesn't enjoy her life, right? A nun is someone who's not living her best life. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. 
Freddie has had legal status in the U.S. the whole time he and Vanessa have been together. He got DACA when he was 26, not long after the Obama administration created the program for so-called dreamers, kids who were brought to the U.S. illegally. Before that, Freddie didn't have a driver's license or a social security number, but he did work and pay taxes. That paper trail was useful when he was applying for DACA. They ask you for records for your tax uh, at least four previous years which I had, and then a lot of pay stubs, medical beers, just record that shows that you never left the country within a certain period of time. So it's a lot of paperwork because you got to show almost a weekly basis of paperwork in order to confirm that you, you haven't left the country. So we initiated the case, and it was very fast, actually. And I guess all my, my evidence was very solid. And so maybe within the next few months, I received a letter that I, my case was approved. And eventually, about a month or so after the fingerprinting, I got my, my working permit. And so the first thing I, I, I went for was for my license. Then I didn't have to get the bus for work anymore. From here to my old job is literally 10 minutes away. When I, when I took the bus, I had to ride almost two hours to get the bus. Because from here, it's highway straight. With the bus, it was around the highway. So I had to take two buses. For five years, Freddie didn't have to worry about that two-hour commute both ways. He also didn't worry about getting deported until President Trump took office. Vanessa and Freddie moved into their apartment together just after Trump's inauguration. And Vanessa started to grasp what it would mean if the president made good on his threat to end DACA. I remember we were coming back from dinner once and... Um, I was like, you know, what happens if Trump cancels DACA tomorrow? And then everything that we've tried, that we've started planning for can't happen. If they cancel DACA and you no longer have a social or a work permit, um, that doesn't help us in terms of planning to buy a house. Or what happens if they cancel DACA and then they go after all the DACA recipients and like, we have a baby. Like, I don't want to be a single mom under those circumstances. And I remember him saying, like, I didn't think about that. And I was like, well, this is what I think about all the time. Like, what have you been thinking? <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. I just thought it would work out. I'm like, okay, we have to get on the same page. Um, I, I mean, I think I wasn't giving it so much thought about it. Because I had been living without a a working permit longer than with. Mm -hmm. So in my thought is, I have done so much without it than with it. You know, so that's not going to change anything for me. You know, so that's why in my mind, I thought whatever happens, it's not going to stop me. You know, and that's what she didn't understand at that moment. Because for you, Vanessa... Your, your partner losing legal status would be a loss. The way you have lived in America would not be possible if your partner lost legal status. In a way, yes. I felt like there would be so much more uncertainty for how do we continue to plan for the things that we've been planning freely. Um, you know, up until the last couple years, traveling for me has been a huge part of my life and my identity. Um, I, you know, we had agreed and we made a commitment that 
I won't travel outside the States until we can do so together. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of totally changes how I was thinking about like our free time or building memories um, kind of outside of our daily environment. So the the reality of of building a life with a DACA recipient whose status might be in question slowly occurred to you and then it became something you couldn't stop thinking about. Right. Yeah. It was how how do we how are we gonna make it work? What do we need to do to make it work? I would I remember being at work um and every time I had free time I would be like searching everything online. Look and I would try to look up different scenarios like DACA recipient Airplane travel. It, it was. I was obsessive, really. I just needed to know every piece of the puzzle and how it all fit together. Vanessa, do people at work know about the immigration process you're going through with Freddie? No. You're secretly googling when you're googling at work. Right. <laughs> do you have to? Do you feel like the fact that you're a DACA recipient is information that is best kept private? I think it is. I don't think anybody needs to know anybody's situation. Uh, in terms of legal status. Freddie and Vanessa started talking about marriage again. They thought if they were married, it would help protect Freddie if DACA disappeared. They began planning a wedding and reached out to a judge to perform the ceremony. We we called her and we just said, hey, um, we're thinking of getting married, like maybe by the end of the summer. And she was like, well, if you don't have to wait, I wouldn't. I've been seeing a lot of cases get shot down in immigration court lately. So if you don't have a reason for why you're waiting another two months, I think it's better if you just start the process now. And then we were both kind of like, oh, shit. (laughs) Um, And my goal was to get married maybe a few months, years down the road, just to build that relationship more solid. I felt that it was still going to keep growing. And it was funny because... um, I guess because we, no one else was part of all of these conversations, right? Except the two of us. And so not everyone else fully understood. And so like the quickness of it was really like a bucket of cold water to I think everybody else. Um, But our moms were on board. And so then that was enough for us. And the whole thing was very um, memorable, but it was surreal. And I think it took a while to feel like married. Not like we just kind of like you know, threw it together. (laughs) Where was the ceremony? In my mom's backyard. Freddie and Vanessa met with an immigration attorney right after that. He told them even though they're married, for Freddie to get a green card, he would need to leave the country and re-enter from Mexico legally. Normally, people who have entered the U.S. illegally have to wait 10 years before they can apply to come back in. But because of his DACA status, Freddie was eligible for something called advanced parole that would allow him to leave for a short period of time and then return. But the week before he was going to submit his paperwork to travel to Mexico, the Trump administration announced it was ending DACA and advanced parole for DACA recipients done deal no more and you hear about it in the news oh yeah mm-hmm. and then um advanced parole was no more like that was it cold turkey whereas the the fact that daca was being canceled was being taken up in the courts and all of that stuff advanced parole was just not gonna be a thing 
So then we said, okay, back to the drawing board. So the risk of Freddie leaving the country was a whole different thing. Like leaving the country could mean he couldn't get back in. Would definitely mean at this point that he couldn't get back in. I mean, we literally, we were in in a very short period window where if the paperwork would have been submitted, we probably would have made it within maybe days or a week or so. So just that, knowing that, alone that you you missed it by a few days mm-hmm. it's like it's almost like if you're building a house and the whole house just collapsed again and you got to start all over now there's a whole other long and complicated process freddie and vanessa are trying to see if freddie can eventually apply for a green card without leaving the country for 10 years and there's time pressure if court challenges to preserve daca fail or if his DACA paperwork isn't renewed next year, Freddie could be deported. Does having to report for DACA the next time feel like it's a scarier process because of the way the politics are changing around? I it? mean, it can be. I'm not going to stress it because I can't stress the future. How do you not stress Stress it? Well, there's two things to stress. Number one, if, if it has a solution, you shouldn't stress it. And if it has no solution, then you shouldn't stress it. <laughs> you know? Why do you sound like Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> I try to put very minimal time to stress. What do you do with when when the uncertainty occurs to you? Like, what do you do then to, to work through that feeling? So anything, any problems that are out of my hands, I pray to God to give me the best outcome out of them. And whatever the outcome is whether it's good or bad, once I feel like I prayed it and left it in God's hands, and that's the best that came out of it, whether it's good or bad. You know, so even if it's not a good thing at the moment, it's the best because it's going to make me stronger in the long run. Is that how you process stress, Vanessa? Uh-huh. I'm trying to do that more. My My first response to stress is to analyze like what is what is a way to solve this to improve this to fix this um and then all the behaviors that come with stress stress eating stress drinking (laughs) um sleeping not wanting to work out or whatever um so i'm trying to be more centered uh spiritually so that things don't stress me out as much and then we have to we have to just let it go. You know, you can't live in that constant state of fear and stress every day. We just got to keep moving on. Mm-hmm. And if it gets solved, then good. You know, thank God for the bad. If it if it doesn't, then we're always gonna find a way to live around it. That's Vanessa and Freddie. They're planning a second big wedding in a Catholic church later this month saving for a down payment on a house, and starting to talk about kids. Since the Trump administration rescinded DACA, young people can no longer apply. But federal judges have ruled that current DACA recipients can ask for renewals. Court challenges are making their way through appeals and are expected to go before the Supreme Court. Vanessa and Freddie do have a rough plan if he's eventually deported. They'll either go live with Vanessa's extended family in the Dominican Republic or settle in Mexico, even though Freddie hasn't been there in 25 years. 
Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. I'm based at the studios of the investigative podcast Reveal in Emeryville, California. Our team includes Katie Bishop, Annabelle Bacon, Stephanie Joyce, Joanna Solitaroff, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. The show is at Death Sex Money on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can email us anytime at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. Since Freddie got his driver's license five years ago, he's owned three different cars. Right now, he's driving a Buick Regal. How did you pick a Buick Regal? Well... I'm 30 years old. Spiritually, I'm like 45. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. 